Of course, the words to the chorus that we were singing come from Micah 6.8, the passage from which we take the theme for our current series, Love, Mercy, Do, Justice. And we're excited to continue our series this morning. If you're visiting with us, we'd love to have a chance to get to know you better. One of the ways you could help us to do that is to fill out the Connect card in the seat back in front of you. If you want to uh, bring it with you into the lobby after the service is over, you can hand it to me or hand it to Greg or anyone on the worship team or staff. We'd love to give you a, a small gift as our way of saying thank you for coming out to church today. But most importantly, we'd just love to meet you personally and get a chance to know you better. As we continue this series that we are calling Love, Mercy, Do Justice, uh, we've talked about how from Jesus' perspective, as you look at his teaching in the Gospels, Jesus describes this idea of the kingdom of God based on what God has revealed to his people throughout the centuries, throughout the scriptures. It wasn't a new concept that Jesus introduced, uh, but he introduced a new understanding of how the God's intention from the beginning was that this idea of loving God and translating that into the ability to love one another and to love other people around us creates a kingdom of God's presence and power in our midst that creates a society of people that transforms relationships and communities around them. So to love mercy, we said, is to to actively meet the need. And to do justice is to do more than just meet the need, but to try and solve the problem that causes the need from the beginning. In Jesus' understanding of this kingdom of God idea that, that he came to preach and that he said should be good news to the world, justice is deeper than simply retribution or punishment. For Jesus, kingdom of God justice is about restoring human beings to relationship with God and to relationship with one another. And we talked about how this Jesus way of living out this Jesus creed, loving God and loving others, is what ultimately allows us to fulfill the biblical idea of justice as a restorative process for human beings. It takes the inequities and the injustices of the world and it begins to make things right again, which we said that's what righteousness in the Bible is. It's to to make things right again through the power of unconditional love. Today, we're gonna look a little deeper into how Jesus suggests that this kingdom of God thing works itself out in the world and therefore in our lives and in our church. And, and to explore hopefully how we can begin to see some inklings of, of how maybe we can become a little bit more intentional about loving mercy and doing justice in our lives. Before we jump in full throttle, let me just pray for us one more time and ask God to bless this time of looking into his word. God, we do thank you that you are a God of mercy and justice and you have invited us to be adopted into your family, to be your children who live out this Jesus creed of loving you through loving one another in a way that actually brings transformation of people's lives around us. God, speak to us again this morning through your word. Encourage us to have strength and faith to step out and live the life that you have called us to live, not only individually, but together as your body in this place. And we'll thank you and praise you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now, for today, when we think of this phrase, the kingdom of God, 
That's a pretty weighty phrase, right? The kingdom of God. I mean, we're, we're often tempted to think when we hear a phrase like the kingdom of God, to think of what? To think of paradise, right? To think of perfection, to think of all things being made new. And when God's kingdom comes on earth, wouldn't we expect that surely all sin is going to be overcome, all brokenness is going to be restored, everything's going to be made right again. We have this perspective that somehow when the kingdom of God comes, we will recover the paradise that once was lost all the way back in Genesis, right? I mean, isn't that part of our expectation when we begin to think about this idea of the kingdom of God. For us this morning, though, I'd like to suggest as we look at the teachings of Jesus, for Jesus, the kingdom of God on earth is often more of a paradox than a paradise. The kingdom of God on earth for Jesus is often more of a paradox than a paradise. See, Jesus often tried to challenge people's preconceived notions and their expectations and their assumptions in order to change their thinking, to open their hearts and their minds to see that maybe God was moving in a new way or in a way that they didn't originally understand. If you think about who Jesus' audience was, those people of Israel back in his day, they knew this dream of the kingdom of God coming to earth, right? This hope that one day Yahweh would be king. He would rule over his people. That everyone would, would naturally obey the, the law, the Torah, out of, out of the goodness of their own hearts. That even the Gentiles would come to worship the one true God. In fact, if you look through the Old Testament visions of, of what it will look like in the end. Creation itself will join in and predator and prey will, will lay down and take a nap together. I mean, what more could you ask for in paradise, right? But in place of paradise, Jesus offers his listeners a paradox. The kingdom, Jesus said, is not quite like what you might Expect. In Matthew 13, verses 31 and 32, he says, he told them a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. A mustard seed in Jesus' day was considered the smallest of all the seeds. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is a tiny little seed. What do you do with that? See, the kingdom, Jesus is saying, is not like a, a tropical island paradise where all your cares are washed away and you never have to go to work again in your life and you can just sit around floating on clouds and eating grapes. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. So what does the mustard seed mean? What do we learn from this parable? The first thing I'd like to suggest is that, that Jesus is saying the kingdom of God comes in the very ordinary, common experiences and routines and relationships of life. Scott McKnight, in his book, The Jesus Creed, where we're getting inspiration from for our series. Again, we're not following the book, but we're, we're keying off of some of his ideas about justice in his book. says that the kingdom is as common as sparrows. 
as earthy as backyard bushes, as routine as breakfast coffee, and as normal as aging. You see, instead of finding the kingdom of God in the majestic and in the epic and in the famous and in the perfection of life, Jesus sees the kingdom of God coming in simple and often unseen sacrificial acts of love that one person does on behalf of another person in need. And when those seeds are planted, we cannot even imagine how those seeds might germinate and take root and produce something that we never could have planned for or expected because of the presence and the power of God at work in people's lives. See, Jesus sees God's kingdom coming in the often simple and unseen acts of faith and love that seek human restoration and reconciliation in our lives. For Jesus, the kingdom of God is the transforming presence of God in ordinary human beings who live out this Jesus creed of committing to love God by loving other people. Yet our tendency, our proclivity to to expect and to actually seek perfection and to to plan for paradise, it it makes us difficult to understand what Jesus is encouraging us and inviting us to do and to experience here. McKnight also says that the Jesus Creed shapes the society of Jesus, the, the church, when it do, and when it does, the society of Jesus takes on the look of a basket full of mustard seeds, a big basket full of ordinary acts of sacred love that demonstrate the extraordinary power to transform life. Second thing that I think the mustard seed encourage us, encourages us to see and understand is that must, the mustard seed sprouts in unlikely places. If you think about Jesus' life and ministry, if he's using this as an analogy for his own uh, kingdom, uh, Jesus chose the oddest people to follow him, didn't he? And then he holds these people up as examples of the presence of the kingdom of God. I mean, instead of gathering the top religious leaders and the most influential politicians or the best preachers of the day... Jesus chose four unschooled fishermen, a hated tax collector, a woman with a bad reputation, and the list goes on and on, right? McKnight also said, the kingdom of God is not made up of Roman giants and gladiators or the Jewish elite in their entourage, but of ordinary, gritty folk and ragamuffins. Our tendency to search for the perfect in life, for the, for the powerful, for the famous, for the popular, for the pure, for the, for, for the quintessential experience, our, our longing for paradise causes us often to miss the fact that then we turn that perfection on ourselves and we expect ourselves to be perfect as well. And so we know that we can't be perfect. And so we, we close ourselves off to the possibility that we can participate in the kingdom of God because we, we know that, that we're, we're nothing great. We're nothing grand. We can't live up to this idea of paradise. How do we bring paradise? We're part of the problem, aren't we? But you see, Jesus comes and he comes with good news. And he said, the kingdom of God comes like a tiny little seed. 
That's all it takes is a, a tiny little amount of faith, a tiny little amount of desire, a tiny little amount of willingness to allow the word of God to implant itself in the soil of your heart, in, in the soil of your life. And amazing things can happen, which is number three, is that the kingdom of God starts small, but it grows and it multiplies of its own accord. Though small when planted, the mustard seed becomes one of the largest bushes in the garden. So big, in fact, that, that the birds of the air can come and find shelter and make nests and lay eggs and raise their families. It, it becomes a blessing to the garden. Not only does it grow, but it multiplies care and restoration for those around it. In the same way, the kingdom of God, Jesus said, spreads like seeds, one at a time from person to person, and it mysteriously grows and flourishes and expands so that all people can come and find shelter and hope and healing in its branches. You see, the paradox of a mustard seed kingdom of God means that all Jesus needs is a willing person and an opportunity. So all Jesus needs is a willing person and an opportunity. See, his ministry isn't the ministry of the big and the bold and the beautiful. His ministry is a ministry of mustard seeds scattered out into the world, knowing that the presence and the power of God can take even the tiniest little act of love and sacrifice and use it to transform a person, a family, a marriage, a community, a nation. It starts with the seed of the kingdom of God, and it starts in the soil of your heart and mine. And it develops the person in the divine relationship with God so that our passions are transformed. Our hearts are broken for the things that breaks God's heart so that we look out into the brokenness of our world and we cannot help but be motivated to want to love mercy and to take part in doing justice because it's the heart of God overflowing in us. Love for God and love for others, Jesus says, it, it works hand in hand and you can't have one without the other. You see, for Jesus, the big event of the kingdom is the little tiny person that finds value and hope and restoration in him. It's, it's the person who is transformed by the word of God and, and is then empowered by the spirit of God to transform lives and relationships as they begin to participate in the kingdom of God. And as they do, what we discover is the next thing that I think the mustard seed teaches us is that the kingdom of God comes patiently and peacefully. See, in Jesus' world, there, 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 there was two ways that a, a kingdom could come. It could come patiently and waiting and hoping that something was going to happen, or, or it could come by force, right? The symbols were the sword or, or the mustard seed, Two very different symbols Jesus could have used to indicate how the kingdom of God comes. I mean, at the time of Jesus, the sword was the, the chosen symbol of many religious people, right? They, they ended up calling them zealots because they believed that sometimes it was necessary to take up the sword and to bring the kingdom of God by force. Uh, we, we need to, to take up arms to overthrow the Roman rule, to take back our land, to bring the kingdom of God and to establish his, his government and his justice, but Jesus doesn't say, pick up the sword. He says, my word is a two-edged sword that will cut through your heart. And he opts for the way of peace against the way of violence. 
In fact, we, we know this parable too, right? Jesus said, sometimes the, the weeds and the wheat need to be allowed to coexist together. Because if we try and go in and pull up the weeds, what happens? We might do violence to the wheat, right? And yet conversely, when the weeds and the wheat are allowed to coexist, sometimes, sometimes the weeds become wheat, if you can imagine that. See, when we plant little mustard seeds of love, when we take little acts of mercy and justice in those opportunities where God brings our awareness, where we can take one simple step and we get a chance to begin to see the kingdom of God take root and grow and expand and it multiplies, not because of how good or wise or strong we are, but because God takes that gift, he takes that sacrifice, he takes that love and he multiplies it for his glory and not for ours. As I've been thinking about, how do you, how do you take this, this challenging concept of loving mercy and doing justice and transforming the world around us and making it simple and applicable to us? I, I couldn't help but think back to this time last year when we asked the same question about evangelism. How do, you, how do you do evangelism in our culture, in our world in the 21st century, right? And we talked about this acronym, BLESS. B-L-E-S-S. And I, and I thought, you know, that acronym, applying it to sharing the good news of Jesus with people, really applies to loving mercy and doing justice as well. If you remember that, the, the B simply stands for be in prayer. You know, start by praying. If you see a need, if you, if you sense a problem, be in prayer. Uh, listen with care. We, we need to be better listeners. We've talked about how acrimonious our culture is and how we're, we're not even really listening to each other. We're just arguing over each other. We need to become good listeners and hear each other's stories and, and, and be, uh, create a safe space for conversation without argumentation. And then third one's my favorite, right? Eat together. Eat together. I mean, just breaking bread and having fellowship and, and sharing life breaks down so many barriers and opens up new understanding to people that we thought were so different or so challenging. And, and yet being able to connect in real human ways opens up so many possibilities. Serve one another in love. If we have an opportunity to, to serve someone, to make a difference, then that often leads to the, the last opportunity, right? Is to, to share our story as well. And then the, those are the seeds that we plant that God then takes and, and God can multiply them for his glory and not for our own. The last thing I'd like to mention about the mustard seed this morning is that Jesus doesn't just talk about mustard seeds for you and me. He was one, right? Jesus is the mustard seed. As a, as, as a tiny seed goes into the ground and dies, Jesus taught his disciples, and then mysteriously grows into a large plant. So Jesus knew that, that his body was going to, to go into the ground, that he was going to the cross, and that he would die as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. But that in dying, his life would germinate in resurrection and soon explode into a worldwide movement of God's people and kingdom on earth. You see, Jesus is the mustard seed in person. Jesus is the kingdom of God in person. If you want to see heaven on earth, Jesus says, look to the mustard seed. If you want to see heaven on earth, Jesus says, look to me, look to my life, look to what I've taught, look to the way I did it. I uh, spent some time growing up in my early teenage years in the city of Chicago. 
and I played Little League Baseball during that time, and uh, I, I wasn't old enough to have a driver's license, but in Chicago, you can get pretty much anywhere on the L train, right? So you can get on public transportation and go around, and so we would often take uh, the train to go to some of our baseball games. Well, um, we lived on the north side of town, and so we went to go to a baseball game, and we got on the train, and we're riding along, and it, it, the, the, the trip seemed to be taking longer than we thought, and, and, then, and then we looked up, and we noticed outside the window of the train, this iconic building on the south side of Chicago, which if you were a white kid in Chicago, you didn't want to be seen anywhere near Cabrini Green, because this was the low-income housing project, high-crime, challenging place, right? And we thought, oh my gosh, we got on the train going the wrong way, and we were on the wrong side of town. So we got off and got back on and, and, and started heading out the other way. Well, in 1993, the Chicago Tribune ran a story about a violent death of a Cabrini Green resident, 13-year-old Brian Dixon. The article impressed upon its readers that this financially poor, tough, defiant kid was little more than a typical victim of gang violence on the south side of Chicago, where you would simply just expect that kind of thing. But Bob Muzikowski his little league coach had a very different perspective. Bob said, I barely recognized the boy in that newspaper article because the description just didn't fit. I never once thought of Brian as tough, and he certainly didn't defy the authority of his little league coaches. On the contrary, his craving for our time and attention was so transparent that we often had to laugh about it. The way he always schemed to be the last one delivered home so he could have more extra time talking with us in the car. And and the times he'd call the house just to say hey and ask what we were doing, obviously hoping to get an invitation to come over. See, Bob knew, McKnight says, and as he shares this story in his book, Bob knew more than the reporter because Bob was personally involved in Brian's life. Bob was personally involved in Brian's life. As their little league coach, Bob had taken the team to a White Sox game where they all went in full uniform, baseball uniforms together. He, he took them to Lake Mission to go, to go swimming in the middle of summer. He took the team camping where they sat around the campfire and shared stories and got to know one another. And it was Bob that the family asked to speak at Brian's funeral, a funeral that was ultimately funded by Bob and another group of team of volunteers. You see, McKnight says, Bob Muzikowski is a mustard seed. Bob Muzikowski is a mustard seed. After anything but a moral life in New Jersey and New York City, a newly converted Bob and his Christian wife, Tina, moved to Chicago to one of the neighborhoods that was known for its highest crime rate, where where he found a dilapidated ball field awaiting mustard seed growth. With a man named Al Carter and others in tow, they turned the place into a well-lit baseball field for kids in the toughest neighborhoods around Cabrini Green. Now, Bob was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know what his chapter was called? Mustard Seeds. And Bob expressed to his friends at Alcoholics Anonymous that I simply love God, I love kids, and I love baseball. I wanted to be a good neighbor, and I was just trying to do the right thing. 
He devoted himself to help one kid at a time because he had learned that connections change lives and an unlikely family working with unlikely people in a person-to-person mustard seed ministry changed the lives of an entire community. Now, you probably would have never heard of Brian Dixon or Bob Muzikowski. They're not famous, right? They're not uh, pillars of the Christian faith. Uh, But, you know, Hollywood made a movie about Bob's story, and they called it Hardball. And you know what Hollywood did? They took out all references to faith. They made it rated R so it would sell more money, and they totally destroyed the story. But out of respect for the kids and the volunteers, Bob told the true story of his book in his book called Safe at Home, the true and inspiring story of Chicago's Field of Dreams. But see, what we learn is that that not all of us are going to move to Cabrini Green in Chicago and and, and transform a ball field, but but anybody could be a little league coach, right? Anybody could could, could choose to open their house to, to a foster kid like the Howards are doing. What another mustard seed ministry that God has blossomed in and is growing, See, the the question is, if all it takes is a little seed, are are we willing to at least open ourselves to where are the opportunities, those small cracks that God might want us to drop our seed into that will bring healing and restoration to someone else's life? Because that's what leads us on the direction of loving mercy and doing justice. If you look at the miracles of Jesus, and we don't have time to go through all the miracles of Jesus, but, but yes, I know that many people believe that, that miracles were about convincing people that Jesus was who he said he was and, and creating faith. And, and miracles do create faith. But if you look at the kinds of miracles Jesus performed, I'd also like to suggest that perhaps first and foremost, the miracles were about the evidence of the kingdom of God because they were about restoring people. They were about restoring people to God and to one another. I mean, think about some of the people that Jesus healed. You know, you guys remember the woman who is, had, had a flow of blood for 12 years and she had spent all of her money on the doctor so that she was broke and destitute and she had nowhere else to go and she had gotten worse rather than getting better and she thinks, if I can just get to Jesus and touch his garment, then, then maybe I'll be healed. And she does, and she was, and, and, and Jesus healed her. And God takes this broken down, poor, penniless, unclean, rejected woman and she gives, he gives her a seat at the table. Or how about, how about the, the man covered with leprosy? Luke 5, right? A man comes to Jesus, he's covered with leprosy and he falls on his face at Jesus' feet. Now, again, if you think about this, a, a woman who has a flow of blood and a man covered with leprosy were not accepted in normal Jewish society, Right? They, they couldn't come to worship. They couldn't sit at the table. They had to be, you know, ostracized and put out at the margins. And, and, and nobody would even touch this man. But Jesus reaches down and he, he touches the man. And he says, I want to make you clean. See, the man doesn't even ask to be healed. He says, will you make me clean? Will you make me clean? When God's kingdom comes, when God's love overflows, it's not just about creating fairness and justice. It's about restoring people to cleanness, to purity, to relationship in society, to say that you have value, you have worth, and you have a place at the table. To be healed is to be made clean, and to be made clean is to be restored to society. And Jesus' healing reclassifies all both of these people in relationship to all those around them. 
In Jesus' miracles, he's restoring the marginalized to the center of society and reclassifying them as pure and holy in God's eyes. And isn't that what he's done for you and me? Haven't we all been reclassified by Jesus' love? We don't earn our status. We don't earn our class in God's kingdom. It all comes because of God's grace. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God and are redeemed only by his mercy in our lives. The kingdom of God is the society of Jesus' people where the Jesus creed transforms our lives and our relationships with one another. And the good news of the kingdom of God is that Jesus' love welcomes all people to his table where they can find healing and restoration and a new community that reclassifies everyone under the banner of the king. And we can all find shelter in the branches of his vineyard. McKnight ends this section by saying, anyone today who is committed to the Jesus creed will be committed to the ministry of restoring human beings to God and to one another. Now, now we've seen a few glimpses of how we might begin to do that, but I, I have to confess to you that this is a challenge area for me. And so I have another invitation for you. As I wrap up this morning, at our midwinter conference, our denomination hands, hands out several books every year. And I'd like to um, make a commitment to you that if you would like to join me in reading three books this summer, we'll read a book a month. Each month we'll have a meeting where everybody who's reading the books can come together and we'll just have an open, honest conversation about how we're thinking and feeling. And that, that's kind of part of my biggest goal for this is to, to say the church should be a place where we can have a safe and honest conversation, right? And, and so the first book is, is really kind of intended to get at that love mercy Issue And it's written by uh, Eugene Cho. And Eugene Cho is the uh, pastor at Quest Church up in Seattle. He's a covenant pastor. Uh, and, and his uh, book is called Overrated. And he asks the challenging question, are we more in love with the idea of changing the world than actually changing the world? Are we, are we really committed to actually loving mercy and doing justice, or, or do we just like the idea of it? I think this is going to be a, a good one that will challenge us to, to examine our hearts and say, what, what are we really open to considering? The second one is a, a brand new book out by uh, Dominique Gilliard. And Dominique is a covenant pastor, and he's currently serving as the director of racial righteousness at the National uh, Love, Mercy, Do Justice uh, Mission Priority at the Covenant Church. And his book is called Rethinking Incarceration, Advocating for Justice That Restores. And basically, he takes a look at the reality of mass incarceration in the United States and uses that as a filter to say, what does our theology of justice look like when we filter our actual justice system through what the Bible says? And what can we learn from that? And so that'll be kind of a, 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 a doing justice focus in the second month. And the last one, for many of us, uh, might be one of the most challenging. It's written by a non-covenant pastor, but one who serves at a multi-ethnic church in Chicago, Daniel Hill, and it's called White Awake, an honest look at what it means to be white. And we've talked about this here before. Uh, missiologists and sociologists will tell you, if you only know your own culture, you know no culture, 
right? Because you have to understand how your culture is different from another culture to really understand what your culture is, because otherwise it's just like the air you breathe. It's like the water that you swim in. And so this is written just a personal journey of one pastor's experience of recognizing how do we understand what our culture is and how do we value people's differences in culture and understand that God's kingdom is inclusive of all cultures, and so maybe as we learn how to walk humbly with our God, learning about how our culture impacts our view of Christianity and our view of one another uh, might be a, poss- a possible one for you to read. So, um, June, July, August, and we'll have a meeting each month. There's a sign-up sheet out at the Welcome Center. If you'd like to consider it's not you're not even committing to it, I'll put your name on the list. We'll give you information as we're moving forward. We'll either give you the link on Amazon where you can get the books or we could buy a, a, a gaggle of them, have them for people as well. And then in the fall, we'll regroup and say, what have we learned and what can we share with our church? And one possibility is that for those who are interested, our uh, conference does a Journey to Mosaic trip. Uh, every fall where we uh, get together with people and do a a trip that explores the issues of racial righteousness in our culture and how that could be something that might be valuable for us to pursue. So it's a journey that I'm on, and I invite you to go on the journey with me. Uh, These books, I haven't read them, so I can't recommend them. I can say, let's read them and let's discuss what we think about them. But more importantly, I think the question for us is, Are we willing to allow the mustard seed of the kingdom of God to implant itself in our hearts and in our minds in a way that it opens us to a new possibility that we can participate in loving mercy, in doing justice, in ways that will transform the lives and the communities around us? Would you pray with me? God, we do thank you. That your son Jesus was that seed that went into the earth in order to produce a whole new experience of life for us. God, would you give us the courage to to, to take those seeds of life that you've given us and to be willing to to throw them out into the seeds, into the fields of the world and see how you can encourage us to be a part of your kingdom of mercy and justice in this world. God, weave us together as a faith community. Give us the courage to to dialogue and to talk with one another, to learn from each other's stories, and to hear how we can be a part of demonstrating the presence and the power of the kingdom of God at work in the world now because we see the healing and the restoration that can happen when we learn how to love God and love one another well. And we will give you the praise and the glory for the way you manifest yourselves in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name.